Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Ron Wanless joins me from Bend, Oregon, where he's owner of Technology Design Associates. Ron is a respected custom integrator running multiple branch locations in Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, Washington, and Oregon. Ever since we worked together on an industry committee many years ago, he has impressed me with his business acumen and insights. We haven't talked much since COVID lockdown began, so I thought that the podcast would be a great opportunity to catch up about his tech observations, favorite product categories, and advice for how to effectively manage multiple locations of a custom integration company. Ron Wanless, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Um, look forward to having a nice conversation. It's been a while. Absolutely. We usually run in, into each other at events and that hasn't been happening so much. So uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll have our, our typical cocktail c- conversation here without cocktails <laughs> on, on a uh, podcast. So uh, should have had this later. We could have had cocktails. At the it it, pro- <laughs> it might've turned out better. You never know. <laughs> well, as, as I mentioned up top, we, um, we met when we were both volunteering, I believe it was like 2013 or 2014. Uh, we were asked, uh, by our friends, uh, Patrick Hartman, who's now a colleague of yours, and Jamie Briesmeister to help out uh, on a CDA conference called Exchange or Business Ex- Exchange, and uh, um, it was really a fun fun event while it lasted for three or four years. And uh, I was looking at trying to find the date of when that was because it it does seem like it was a bit bit far back, and it kind of was at this point. And uh, I found an article I wrote about the third or fourth installment when, when we were in San Antonio, uh, just to try to find a date. And there was your name. I actually wrote about you because <laughs> we had had a conversation <laughs> that uh, I thought was really cool. And we were at a place in San Antonio at a restaurant um, and y- you kept getting like a ping on your phone. And I asked you if everything was okay because you kind of had to keep checking it. And you said that every time anyone was on your website, your company website, you would get a little heads up on your phone telling you that someone was kind of, you know, looking around and it was a great lead generator for you. Um, and that to me was impressive right away because what I didn't know that technology existed at that point, maybe very common now, but, um, I, I was just wondering if, uh, that's something that you still use. It's kind of a funny starting question, but, uh, you're like a tech guy that really knows how to implement the tech in in finding business. So, um, is that one of the lead gen? Yeah. So it was an it was an interesting uh, point because I had just started that uh, that technology on our website with the chat and the tracking. So realistically, I was able to reach out to people every time somebody jumped onto the website. I would see that and I could see where it was coming from. And if I felt like it was a valid lead, I could. I could actually reach out to them through the website. Uh, and that night, it was funny because that night I actually closed a deal on a theater room while we were in the bar at the, at the event. So it was a pretty <laughs> exciting time for me. And, uh, and that is, that's just our website chat, and we still use that. Uh, I have somebody okay. else that monitors it now. I don't have to do it full-time myself anymore, but, uh, but I do have somebody <laughs> in our sales department that actually takes care of that. Well, uh, 
I know you and I were talking just briefly before we started, and obviously, you and I would have been at events like like that. Uh, perhaps <clears throat> was it ASEAN where we see each other for buying group meetings? Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, um, still yeah. do still do ASEAN. I still do quite a few CD events, and and uh, um, I'm still uh, CE Pro Summit. Several mm-hmm. of those other things, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm still typically pretty active, hoping that all of those are going to come back this year so that we can actually uh, get together with colleagues in the industry and, and uh, start to right. do this kind of stuff in person. Yeah, I just talked to uh, to Richard at uh, ASEAN, and it uh, looks like one more virtual event this spring, which is actually this week uh, as we're recording. It'll mm-hmm. um, be probably a week ago when this actually comes out, but uh, looking forward to a September in-person event in Nashville, which is kind of cool to look forward to. Um, So I I know that even though these events aren't happening, you running multiple locations, you're not locked. You haven't been locked down during the lockdown. You've been out, whether it's driving or flying when it's safe. Um, What's it been like managing your multiple locations, uh, especially during a a really weird Uh, year? It's been... It's been an interesting experience. We've been expanding this group for almost four years now. We started here in Bend, and now we're in five states with six different locations. Uh, And I travel quite often between them. Um, Certainly during the pandemic, it's been extremely challenging. Um, Flights are limited, you know, a lot of drive time, a lot of windshield time, uh, just trying to manage that and and be safe during, during COVID. Um, but uh, as that's starting to open up, I'm back to traveling quite often now. So I, I spend a lot of time. Um, my my job for the company as the president is to make sure that um, I'm keeping in contact with each of my GMs in each of the locations on a constant basis and finding ways to help them continue to grow their location as much as possible. So um, I do a lot of that virtually anyway, which we did before COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's good. We didn't have to make any major changes for that. Uh, we have meetings weekly right. with each of the each of the GMs separately. Uh, but the travel thing for me, the other thing that I do is I close a lot of the bigger projects for these guys. Um, oh. You know, having 38 years experience being in this industry my entire life uh, has given me the advantage to sitting down with some of the bigger clients that have large projects. They feel pretty comfortable with having the owner of the company around. Uh, so I tend to right. I tend to travel quite a bit for that. Uh, I'll actually be going how, back how to did the whole, next week for one. Okay. I was going to ask, how did the whole multiple location thing start happening? Uh, you and I have talked in the past a little bit about it, but uh, you know, I, I know that the, the different locations have a reason for being. There's definitely um, in, interesting, um, uh, I guess, uh, kind of qualities of those different locations. Can you tell me how the first one came about and then what the plan has been as you've gone along uh, rolling into other uh, groups that are other companies that you've purchased or uh, acquired? Yeah, sure. So um, we started in Bend, Oregon um, and uh, we came, uh, I was doing primarily consulting and using, this was during, so after the tech stock crash of 2003, Hmm. Um, I had a significant company here in Bend uh, that was doing quite a bit of business, and we lost about $3 million worth of business in about 30 days during the tech stock wow. crash. 
Uh, we rode that out for about a year and we closed that company and I went into doing consulting for a couple of years. And during that time, uh, of course, we got to the uh, recession during 2008, 2009. A lot of AV dealers were losing business <clears throat> and looking for opportunities. So with my consulting, I was using local AV dealers to do most of the installation work and, and provide a lot okay. of the equipment. And I was doing most of the programming and consulting with the clients. Uh, that worked really well, and I had a couple of builders that were that were multi-location builders that we were supporting. Mm. Uh, so they uh, wanted me to do a couple of locations in Oregon and another one in Washington during that time. So I got uh, people in those areas that wanted to work with us because they were desperate for work anyway. Uh, they were all really mm. good guys. They did really great work until the recession ended. And when the recession ended, they all got so busy with their own work, we became kind of second fiddle and it was difficult to manage that for our clients so at that point i had to make a decision to either cut off those builders and say we can't do that business anymore or uh bring in my own teams and start to do that so that's how we got started with that so we had the bend location we added another one in southern oregon and another one in southern washington uh, and that was the way we were able to cover that i acquired a team uh, out of portland for the southern washington location and we did the um, Southern Oregon organically. So that was the beginning. Uh, at that point in time, I kind of stood back and I said, uh, I don't want to go through another recession issue. I don't want to go through another tech stock crash or anything else like that that's going to shut down our company. So I started looking at mm -hmm. options on how we could actually run a larger company but keep it small enough that it would survive changes in the economy. And so okay. my thought process was if I could create a centralized services model with a hub and spoke, if you might, um, we mm -hmm. would have all of the operations of the company other than sales and installation as a central group of people that handles as many locations as we need. And then each of the individual locations are simply run with sales and installation people, and that's it. So all of the back office okay. things, everything else that we do is all done out of our central location in Bend, Oregon. And then um, these guys just have their general managers and their installation teams. So they're very small. Mm -hmm. So they can survive in a, in a downturn economy without uh, okay. a lot of expense there. So that's kind of how we got things well, started. Now we're up to six locations and, and uh, continuing to grow in each of them. How big were you when you were... When, when you had to close that for that other operation? We were doing three to people? 4 million a year in, in the one location. And how many people were you? 27. Wow. Okay. So that, that's where it's too big. Um, at least in, yeah. in the downturns. So, uh, that, that's yeah. a huge difference. And now you're talking installation team at a location, general manager and an installation team of what, four or five people or something or. Yeah, total group size. Uh, I think the biggest we have right now is seven. People. Okay, and then how how yeah. many in your uh, your your hub? We've got eleven people plus myself in the in the central services. Group. Okay. Yeah that that takes a lot of a lot of pressure off those individual locations, then doesn't it? They 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 just are handing off after the initial meetings and sales are closed. Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty um, simple process at that point, right? You meet with the client, you do the sales process, you close the deal, and you hand it off to your install team. But all the rest of the stuff that goes on in the 
in the process gets handled in the back office by our central services team and and they do it for everybody so they're really good at it and making it you know happen fairly quickly for them so they get a good turnaround everything happens nice and smoothly and the gms in those locations don't have to stress about all the back office stuff and then you as the as the owner the veteran comes in on those big jobs like you said at the different locations and and maybe walks the client through the final steps or or even just from the beginning you say hey there's a big big client here big project potential we need the heavy hitter ron to come in and pretty pretty much (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i i uh i make myself available for each of my uh gms as they come across those particular opportunities and you know, sometimes they feel a little uncomfortable. They'd like to have a lot more experience behind the conversation. Mm. Um, and, and I've been doing sales all my life, so I'm very comfortable in those situations. And so I'll fly in and, and have those meetings with the clients or the architects or whoever they might be uh, in order to facilitate the initial part of the conversation and get everybody comfortable with the company and the way we're laid out. Because uh, when you're talking about larger projects, quite often it's a you know, when you look at a group of five or six people, you're like, yeah, I don't know if you're big enough to handle it. But in reality, uh, we can pull labor pooling from any of our locations. So we can be as big as we need to at any given point in time. Mm. So uh, and I'm able to explain that very well. And, and I'm, and I'm sure. really good at working with with clients. And so it helps these guys out to, to close those bigger deals, makes them feel more comfortable. Are you uh, do you see anything that's different? of those different locations from a regional standpoint or is there a lot of common um interest in what technologies are going in the types of homes that are being built it seems like a place like portland would be a lot different than maybe a place in arizona yeah there's some there's some differences there there's a lot of uh significant items that are basically cookie cutter for us across the board uh but when you look at things like um uh, energy uh, usage hmm. and things like that. Arizona becomes a much bigger player. So we're a dealer for Sonnen and hmm. battery systems. Yeah. Uh, and so we work with solar companies down there that we don't do anywhere else at this point in time. Not that we don't offer it, but we don't get a lot of call for it. Sure. Um, so we're, we're working more in, in that range uh, in the Arizona area. And then when you get into places like Portland and Seattle and, and things like that, you're getting into different types of situations where people are spending more time indoors than they are outdoors versus uh, in Arizona, you're spending more time outdoors than indoors. So you, you kind of tend to lean towards those technologies more in each of the locations. Uh, Bend and, and uh, Reno have snow in the winter. So, you know, we tend to mm. come up with all kinds of great things for these guys to do during the winter. And then uh, they have great summers uh, to boot so they can do a lot of outdoor activities. So we're doing a lot more outdoor audio systems and video systems like that. Hmm. Have there been any interesting changes to the types of technologies you're, you're putting in or the way you work on projects since um, the pandemic? I mean, I, I, I know a lot of uh, network uh pressure a lot, a lot of added uh emphasis on the network because people are working from home a lot more is that part of what you're experiencing or anything else yeah the the networking is was definitely one of the bigger things we got um and then uh s- securing those networks so that people could be doing their 
corporate connections and so forth without any challenges for security. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a big call. And uh, the thing that surprised me the most, and I and I don't I shouldn't say it surprised me the most, but it, the biggest surprise for us ourselves was the home theater market really kicking back up again. Um, oh, our really? locations, most of them, yeah, most of our locations are in the um, in the uh, second home markets. So people okay. don't spend a lot of time with a big home theater type of thing in their secondary home. Uh, but, uh, so we typically, my average in throughout all of our locations is maybe five or six theaters a year, uh, across six locations. Mm -hmm. Um, we've done five or six theaters in the last month. Uh, one of them is all the way up to a million dollars for the room. So uh, it's a really significant project. And then, and then we've picked up another one here recently in Arizona that's going to have probably a half million dollar theater in it. So the home theater aspect has definitely grown during the pandemic. And those are dedicated um, theater spaces with dark room darkening and all of that. Yeah, those as opposed to are, like a common area. I've got uh, yeah, I've got a couple that are uh, that are. You know, I should say several. We do a lot more media room type of stuff where it's yeah. a common area with windows and everything else. It's not a dedicated theater. Uh, but these ones that we're seeing now are actually dedicated theater spaces, and we've, we're getting more and more on a constant basis lately. Well, uh, I do want to kind of circle back to favorite technologies or observations and all that, but I, I kind of did want to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we always do this little biographical sketch background piece, and uh, um, I, I kind of like to start back to when you're a kid and ask uh what did you want to be when you grew up <laughs> and how did that turn out what do you remember uh those early thoughts as a kid or even as a teenager what you're kind of interested in and hoped to yeah. go into as a teenager um i was very into and keep in mind as a teenager this was a long time ago <laughs> so uh, but as a teenager i was into electronics and uh i was uh, into video i was actually at a point where i was thinking as I was going through high school of getting into broadcast video back then. Um, And, uh, but I was also a a bit of a um, straggler when it came to class time. So um, (laughs) I got bored really quickly. I got really bored really Mm -hmm. quickly in most of my high school classes. So I graduated two or two years early uh, and went on to college uh, at 16 um, and found okay. myself just as bored with college as I was with high school. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I joined the military, uh, and I okay. joined the military specifically to, um, get into the electronics field. So, uh, I joined the air force, went into avionics maintenance to work on electronics, to get my electronics background quickly. Um, because the military okay. works really fast with all of their training and, and really pushes you hard to get into mm. it. Uh, which worked really well for me, kept my my um, uh, interest up so I didn't get bored with it. Um, I got to work mm-hmm. on some of the biggest aircraft in the world, and, and uh, we were on a C-5A Galaxy Squadron that uh, worked on the avionics. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then when I came out of the military, I was a reservist, and when I came out of the military, um, I was looking for a job in electronics, the only job in electronics in the Napa Valley area where I was living uh, was a satellite TV store who was 
who was doing a lot of cool stuff with audio video stuff. So um, I went to work for that company. I worked for them for about 18 months and the owner decided that uh, he was going to move on to something else and I bought the company from him and I've been doing it ever since. So that's how I got started into the industry uh, all the way back in the early eighties. And, um, uh, from there we grew that in California for about 10 years. And then I moved to Oregon and I've been here for, this would be year 29. So. Okay. Well, Napa wasn't a bad place to, to land when you got out of the military. How did that happen? Well, I was born and raised in the Napa Valley. So. Oh, that was was your home home at that point. Okay. That's where I was living. Well, not Uh, a bad place to grow up either. No, not actually when I grew up there, it was great. Um, when I left there, it was based on the fact that the area was getting so big and the, mm. um, the construction industry was in the middle of a nosedive in California. And so oh. we were just looking for another opportunity where it was really growing and Bend, Oregon was a place that was just exploding at the time. So that's where we decided to end up. Well, I, I do, I want to continue our conversation, but we first need to uh, take a short break for a commercial. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi Relays by Alterco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion, and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or CoAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. I'm talking to Ron Wanless, owner of Technology Design Associates, and we're we're discussing a start in custom integration and uh, um, you, you you went on to uh, owning a company pretty early on and that's that's pretty impressive did you manage to not get bored then <laughs> right after uh, you started uh, owning a company yeah I was I was pretty busy running most of it by myself I had one one employee at the time and we were we were doing pretty significant jobs in the Napa Valley so um, I was I w- and that I'm extremely passionate about this industry. I love everything that I do in it, which is the only way I would survive doing it as long as I have. And I don't think I've ever had a slow minute since I started. So uh, there's definitely always plenty to do and always plenty of changing, Uh, lots of additional training, lots of additional learning factors that keep me uh, on my toes all the time. Yeah. So sitting in a, in a high school classroom or a college classroom is a lot different than when you actually seek out, new tech and try to figure out how something works. Right. So it's very, yeah, it applies directly to what you do for a living. So it's a lot easier to be focused. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the, the challenges that you've faced? Um, I don't think it's easy to answer going way back, but one of the challenges, uh, that I was just talking to actually to Richard at ASEON about was the, the labor aspect of our industry. There's, it's always hard to find good people when you need them. And, um, I've heard a lot of folks talking about product availability lately because of, of, uh, just the odd things that have happened, whether it's chips, uh, for AV receivers or, uh, supply chain in general with COVID. Um, 
how, what kinds of uh, challenges are you currently facing? Well, I'd say we're facing all of those. They're, they're pretty uh, gleaming uh, problems for us. We're currently, we've got six openings in the company that we can't seem to find people to fill. Hmm. Uh, I have, I have headhunters and friends and everything else, all chasing these people down all over the country, trying to find people to fill those openings and, and really good people that are, that are passionate about the industry enough that we know that they're going to be around for a long time are really hard to find. Yeah. Uh, that's been our mm-hmm. biggest challenge to be able to keep up. We have no lack of business, but you, when you have to start turning it down because you can't keep the crew large enough to be able to accomplish it, that's where you start running into challenges. And we don't hire people just because they're an extra set of hands. Uh, we want people that are, you know, I tell my recruiters, I want lifers. I want people that are going to be mm-hmm. interested in being with the company for 15, 20 years and, and spend some time here and be around uh, for long term. Uh, and of course, supply chain issues are constant across every industry right now, despite the fact that we all looked at it originally when COVID first hit last year. Like, oh, this is not, this is going to be short lived. It's not going to be a major challenge, but every month it continues to get worse. So we're running into more and more product uh, availability issues and challenges on that end. Um, but we find ways around it. I mean, we're a large enough company that, that we're a preferred vendor for several of our manufacturers. And so we get a lot of the insight up front so that we know what's going on. And, uh, mm. and we try to manipulate that and, and make changes as needed so that we can still take care of our clients. Can you get a little more specific about the types of products that are hard to get these days? I don't want to name names for manufacturers, but the categories. Yeah, maybe? no, I, well, AB receivers is the, is the number one given item. Um, uh, we've run into several issues with touch panels because mm. manufacturers can't find the glass. Mm. Um, so we've run into several issues, back orders for four to six months on stuff like that. Um, uh, then we've run into a few projector and television issues, but television issues are kind of a constant. You never know when availability is going to change because of new models and everything else. Uh, but recently they've been more, uh, more challenging than normal. Um, uh, so those are, those are probably our biggest ones. And then we run into small items, which is kind of really funny because you don't expect the simple little things like HDMI cables and things like that, where you're having to switch a manufacturer because they don't have what you need immediately because everything's mm. on a ship or on a dock sitting for three uh, months waiting to get through, you know, get through yeah. to them to distribute. So we've run into uh, several of those little small items like that. Um, but the biggest ones I think have been, you know, AV receivers for whatever reason. Um, and that's across the board. It doesn't matter who the manufacturer is. They just can't get things built fast enough. And a lot of the overseas stuff that you see, uh, we had some issues with, uh, automated light switches, um, uh, dimmers and things like that. There was a shortage of those for a couple of months we ran into, uh, we were able to reach out to other dealers and things that we know in order to to mm. uh, continue our projects moving forward. But we had to manipulate a lot of things to keep things running as smoothly as we did. Yeah, that seems like a major challenge for, for a company. Um, you, do you uh, have, I guess you would have to be pretty upfront with your clients as you're going through the process about this. So there's no uh, pointing fingers later, I would imagine. Yeah, and we also, we you know, we, 
we're large enough that we stock a significant amount of inventory. Yeah. So when we, and, and like I said, because we're, we're pretty intimate with our vendors, we try to keep our finger on the pulse as much as possible. So if we know that there's going to be a challenge, we'll order in advance and, and stock a lot of the stuff that we use on a constant basis. So uh, like I said, with the light switches and dimmers that we ran into, we, we had a couple hundred in stock, but at some point we mm. ran into a point where we were like, okay, well, we're going to be through stock and looking for more in another 30 days. We better figure out what we're going to do. And we started calling around, yeah. seeing who we could find that might have some stuff in stock in the meantime. Um, but, uh, that helps to be able to kind of floor your own inventory for a period of time. We'll be anywhere between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars worth of material sitting in our primary warehouse, uh, as these guys need it, if needed. And it's usually not the way that you do things in this industry, but with those multiple locations, that's a, a nice, uh, luxury to have, um, for sure. Um, can you talk about, uh, I, I, read that you have client care packages. Um, and that's a big part of the industry too, is that, uh, that client care after the, after the installation, uh, what, what's your, uh, approach to, to service, um, after the installation's over? So we're, uh, I, from the day I started my company, from the time I bought the original company and, and ever since I've been extremely service oriented, which is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the primary reason that I've been able to stay in this business for this long. Uh, so my team is also extremely service oriented. Uh, and one of the things that we did a few years back, it's been about five years now when we started our own after hours service program where we had, um, uh, well, before that, the after hours service program was my cell phone. So all of my clients <laughs> would call me directly all the time. And, uh, and I would be, I would be the person who handled service. So at that point it got, uh, it's okay when you've got a couple hundred customers, it's a different story when you've got a couple thousand customers and you're getting those phone yeah. calls all the time, it's difficult to have a work life balance. So, um, at that point I decided I needed to have more than just me to answer those phone calls. So we developed our client care program at that point. And this is quite a while ago. It's about five years ago. Um, we have on staff techs that, uh, take the after hours lines. They they volunteer to be part of that program. Uh, we have uh, enough of them that they get usually a week a month where they'll take the after hours line for each of the techs. Hmm. They'll spend a week on that line and be able to work with the clients uh, remotely to make sure that we can take care of their stuff. And they'll answer calls from all six of our locations. So the, uh, that's okay. the, the one thing that's really important to our service is making sure that we are staying fairly cookie cutter with all of our product lines. So we're pretty adamant mm -hmm. about what we're using on every project because uh, that makes it easy for our service guys to be able to service it. Uh, over the last sure. year, we've grown that to add a couple of full-time guys that do nothing but take support calls during the day as well. So we now have okay. um, a full crew working that process so that we're able to make sure we can take care of that with our clients. In the past, our average has been somewhere around 80% of incoming service calls getting taken care of remotely rather than having to roll a truck to a, to a job site. And are you, is this just part of your installation, part of the, the client process that you have this, or do you sell this as a service? We sell it as a separate service. We, we have a, a policy with our clients that they have a 90-day 
no questions asked. Okay. No matter what's wrong with your system, just give us a call. We'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. After that, they have to go in and select an option. And they have the option to opt out. They don't necessarily have to select one of our plans where they're paying us on a monthly basis, but um, it limits the ability that we have to take care of their stuff after hours and, and prioritizing their repairs and things of that sort. So majority of our clients are happy to do, at least jump on a basic plan so that they have somebody to call after hours and somebody to deal with on Sunday when the game's on and they can't get their TV to work or what have you. Uh, and we've right. got multiple different tiers of that that allow them the opportunity to take advantage of priority scheduling and things of that sort. Right. Okay. And what about new business? Um, it's always been a referral business in this industry, and I'm assuming that's the case for you where one client tells the, another potential client and builders and architects that you've had successes with help help generate business. Is that pretty much the case for you or you, uh, you've got more than you can handle right now, like most companies uh, in the channel. But what about uh, lead generation? How does that work with your different locations? So a little over a year ago, I actually brought somebody onto the team to handle lead generation for the entire group. Okay. Um, so we've been working really hard over the last year to work on things like upgraded websites and SEO and things of that sort to generate leads. Uh, We're still a very referral-based company. Most of our stuff comes through referrals. Majority of that is designers and architects. Um, Mm -hmm. And we still get quite a bit of our business through that. But we want to allow our teams to generate business outside of those as well. So we have a a, uh, internal team that actually works with our web designers and, and, uh, with their SEO and, and working on trying to get stuff generated. Plus we get leads from several of our manufacturers. Again, we're being as, as large and distributed as we are. We tend to be uh, a preferential option for leads coming through some of the manufacturers, which is great. We get some of those every month and we get a few website hits every month. Um, and our website continues to grow and grow. We're right in the middle of an upgrade as we speak. We're, in fact, my meeting right before this mm-hmm. one was with my marketing manager uh, looking over the new website, which we're going to bring up next month. Um, so we're looking forward to that and generating more leads that way. But we're certainly doing a lot of digital. We don't do any marketing in paper or anything like that, magazines and stuff. We, get, we have a few things that we do um, that we've had relationships with for a long time, but beyond that, everything we put into is digital these days. We talked a little bit about the changes with, with COVID and the uh, need for the network to, to be shored up. And um, I was just wondering other technical trends or product trends. Um, what seems to be kind of like the starting point with new clients? What are they interested in the most? If you can generalize what those technologies are. So it's, it's been an, interesting transition over the last 10 years. I mean, we were always AV guys, right? Yeah. That was that was what, how everybody looked at us previously. But um, now as an integration firm, the majority of our business is coming from the lighting and shading into areas. Mm. So people are wanting lighting control, uh, motorized shading, things of that sort. And then we're starting to get, finally starting to see some of the wellness categories kick off and we're seeing uh, th- people coming in looking for uh, wellness lighting and, and purified air, of course, since the pandemic and purified water, mm-hmm. things like that. 
those are new new areas that are really starting to kick off, uh, and we're doing our best to uh, to stay ahead of the curve on that. We actually um, are dealers for six different uh, lighting manufacturers, so actually doing fixtures mm. as well as the control yeah. systems, and uh, and a couple of really good shading manufacturers. We do a lot of motorized shading. In fact, over the last two years, our motorized shading has gone from being about 5% of our business to almost 40% of our overall business in motorized wow. shades. Um, so it's, it's a big part of what we do now. Uh, and we are, uh, like the lighting fixtures is something fairly new to us. We're, we're adding a lot to that and bringing that to the table and, and customers are jumping on board. They, they like the idea of having the control system uh, provider also be the fixture provider because there's there's no mm. lag in between. You don't have to worry about whether or not things are compatible and so forth uh, because people that don't hire a full a full blown lighting designer uh, like to throw a mm. lot of random things in there. You get an electrician supplying fixtures that won't dim properly, and there's a lot of finger pointing yeah. and a lot of challenges. So we like being in control of as much as we possibly can so that we can limit mm -hmm. the amount of challenges for the customer in the end. It seems like more and more fixture companies are, are aware of the custom integration channel and the advantages of having that relationship. Has it been easier on the learning curve side because of that? Or have you had to really just do a lot of your own research about what works well with what control system, et cetera? No, these guys, uh, well, at least the ones that we deal with are really in tune with the CI channel. Okay. So they're working really hard to provide stuff to us uh, and make it as easy as possible to make sure everything functions correctly. Mm -hmm. You can get full-blown lighting designs from the manufacturers themselves. Oh. If you take enough detailed information and plans to a, to a manufacturer, they'll actually go through and do a lighting design for you and show you what's going to work best in that situation. Um, and of course, our control manufacturers, our lighting control manufacturers, uh, all of them have quite a bit of detail in there as far as how their dimmers will work, what they'll function with. You can submit stuff to them that says, hey, this is the fixture I'm using, which dimmer or which driver mm -hmm. should I be using? The advent of LED, of course, has been a huge challenge in trying to get that to function well uh, with dimming yeah. controls. So it's very important mm -hmm. to make sure that the fixtures that you're using will work that way. So. We work really hard with all of our manufacturers on both sides of the aisle to make sure that those things are going to be compatible and work really smoothly. And how aware are the clients to something like human-centric lighting, which you mentioned? Is that something you introduce to them typically and say, hey, there's a way that we can make this really mimic the the outdoor temperature, the lighting during certain times of the day? and um, or maybe increase it to get more productivity uh, at a certain t time or relaxation at a different time? How's that conversation? Yeah, I've yet to be in a conversation with a client yet who actually came to me and said, hey, what about human <laughs> Yeah, lighting? right, right. right? Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, that's something that we're typically bringing up, uh, and most clients aren't real privy to the information. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but once we bring it up, they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about what those options are. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly gives us the opportunity to bring that to the table. Um, more importantly, just giving them the idea of, you know, since COVID that, you know, what about wellness? If you just have that conversation with your clients, you'd be amazed how much they light up and go, oh, we didn't think about that. That's a great idea. Right. We should think through that. 
right? Um, and so well, well, uh, well, I think there's you, a lot of your area of the country, especially. Yeah, it seems like the, the yeah. western part of the country, it's it's especially um, more of an open uh, opportunity there. Um, what about uh, the traditional, you talk about what we used to be called AV guys. Um, what, what about the entertainment side of things that has changed in terms of uh, uh, Atmos or anything like that when you're putting these theaters together? Are you putting a lot more speakers in than you ever did or are you are you t- keeping them fairly conservative with the, with the the layout the media room kind of stuff that we do we're kind of staying conservative mm-hmm. but when it comes to the full-blown theater rooms these days yeah we're i mean we got some that have got 20 30 speakers in them um just to just to cover all the channels that are needed to fill the room appropriately and and give them the full-blown theater effect like they were sitting in a regular movie theater. You know, with the with what the damage did, the pandemic did to the theater industry, uh, this is going to become important because there's going to be very few uh, go-to-the-movie theater opportunities left, right? There's a lot of those companies that are just yeah. said, screw it, we're closing up and, and going away. And so those become fewer and farther between. Uh, people are really looking to still recreate that experience. So... I think that's one of the things that's brought that to the table over the last year is uh, is really people really wanting the experience but want, not wanting to have to deal with where can we go to actually make it happen. Well, I, I think that's a fairly positive place to end on, Ron. I, I really appreciate um, all the insights as usual. Thanks for joining me today. I hope it uh, continues to be a really good year for you and I hope you find, find some good people to, to work with you. That'll be my biggest challenge, but I appreciate you reaching out. Glad to talk, and uh, I look forward to uh, catching up with you in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. Ron Wanless is owner of Technology Design Associates. You can learn more about his company at a soon-to-be-redesigned website at techdesignassociates.com. And that wraps up today's show. Uh, Thanks to everybody else for joining us. Be sure to share, subscribe, and review the podcast. And check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.